0: Welcome back to this episode of Spread Talk. As always, I am Isaac Krakoka. And I'm Will Capers. And today we've got some juicy topics about some of our hometown favorites. Uh, A little Baker Mayfield talk, some Cleveland Guardians, officially Cleveland Guardians discussions, uh, and a State of the Union in in college basketball. So we're going to get the ball rolling with a little discussion about Baker Mayfield And although the first punch, I believe that about 50 games into his career, maybe closer to 60 starts, Baker Mayfield is a 500 quarterback with a top tier defense and the best offensive line in football, a special teams that is not so abhorrent that they would have spiraled that San Diego Chargers team into oblivion. Um, And so you look around the roster, you look at the roster pieces uh, and you start looking for gaps because the roster that Cleveland trots onto the field shouldn't be a 500 roster. I think most anyone who pays reasonable attention to NFL and understands NFL financing and the accumulation of talent would agree with that. So um, going down the offense and the defense, I think the Browns are incredibly limited at quarterback. And I don't know if it's time to move off Baker, Um, but in a contract year, I think you got to start having those discussions about how much to pay Baker if you do and whether or not you even should pay Baker. So I'm at the moment as of November, uh, December 1st, excuse me, December 1st, 2021, I am in the camp of do everything you can in the off season to trade or sign a top tier free agent quarterback. Um, whether that is Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson, the writings on the wall in Seattle, uh, or somebody else, um, I think that's an option that Stefanski and the front office, uh, Andrew Barry, will look into. I think they'd be remiss to not look into it. And if no deal can be, if, if, if no one can come to a deal, they'll pick up Baker's fifth year option. I actually think they've already done that, but um, so. Baker, will play, Baker will play his fifth year and then they'll be in the market, big game hunting again that year. So that's where I stand right now.
1: Yeah, so I'm kind of on the flip side of that. I, I'm i all for giving Baker next year, and I want to. We need to, um, especially because this year's draft class at quarterback. It, to, to put it simply, it's just not good. It's
0: bad, yeah. It was a generational quarterback draft last year. You're not going to get one of those for another 15 years with five First round quarterbacks with upside, excluding Zach Wilson. I've never been a believer. But, anyways, that's an aside.
1: You don't, know, you don't, know, the thing is, though, you don't need, you don't need five quarterbacks. You need one. Um, and a certain other guy playing in Ohio can be draft eligible next year, but I digress. I prefer Baker Mayfield. I love Baker. Um, uh, I think, I think he brings a lot more to the team than just, than just his play on the field. And I think that's a big part, especially when you're playing in Cleveland. The, the, with the franchise that's been, you know, toiling in mediocrity for 20-plus years, uh, I, think, I think the attitude you bring to the table and the swagger plays a huge, huge part. And people don't talk about that enough. And Baker has that. I mean, who else would you <clears> – <throat> excuse me. Who, what other quarterbacks in the league do you see playing through a torn labrum, a broken shoulder, ankle injuries, heel injuries, knee injuries, whatever it may be, all of that all at once playing out there and still competing in games. Yes, he's not playing up to standards like that we've set or that he's set for himself though. I mean, people tend to forget this guy isn't someone who likes playing mediocre. He he wants to be the best and and I I realize with all the talent around him it looks really bad on him. And I'm not passing blame, and I love Kevin Stefanski, but you'd be blind. You haven't watched a snap of a Browns game if you tell me the play calling hasn't taken a half step back since last year. I think
0: the play calling, you know, by definition, Kevin Stefanski won coach of the year. By definition, because there hasn't been a repeat coach of the year winner, I don't think, you know, ever. By definition, Kevin Stefanski is going to take a step back. That's just the law of averages. But I think that bailing on, not bailing, but ascribing blame to Kevin Stefanski coming off of a coach of the year campaign is ludicrous because um, yeah, Baker's dealing with injuries, but every quarterback is dealing with injuries at this point in the season. And no one more than Baker. I get that. And if you watch a Browns game, the announcers will be sure to tell you all about his injuries. But Rogers had a quote this week on the Pat McAfee show where he was like, um, he was going through that COVID toe, whatever, whatever that means he's like losing Mm -hmm. circulation in his extremities. I have no idea. I, all I know is he was on the field and played very, very well. And that's different than a torn labrum. But his quote on the show was that if you, if you dress to play the game that you're getting paid lots of money to do, um, coaching staffs and teammates expect excellence. And so if you can't bring that on a game to game basis, you're setting your teammates up for failure and your team up for failure because right now you can't tell me that a fully healthy case Keenum wouldn't be as productive as Baker. Do you think a fully healthy case Keenum with Cleveland's weaponry would have scored 13 against Baltimore? Because I do.
1: Yes, I certainly do. I think he would have scored 13, but that's it. No more. I still would have lost the game.
0: Baker threw under 50%. Uh, His completion percentage was 48%. I think, Case Keenum would be in the mid 50s, admittedly still not amazing for a starting quarterback, but would be more competitive in a one score game. And a lot of the pros that Baker was missing on, yeah, I mean, there were a couple drops, but there are a couple drops in every game from every skill position player. If a couple
1: means five or six.
0: (laughs) Uh, Sure. And Lamar Jackson threw four interceptions. So, Bad luck is going to be on both sides of the ball. You have to have a quarterback that can put it on the numbers. And oftentimes, Baker was missing his throws, not because of drops, but because they were 15 yards away from a receiver's set of hands. So there comes a point where playing Baker right now is a bad idea. I still think a 50% Baker has more arm talent than Case Keenum. He has a quicker release. He has more pocket presence, more pocket vision, more mobility, all of that. But if you can't sling the football in the NFL when you're a quarterback, I – I think that is the indictment on the coaching staff and the training staff. If you were to start levying blame, I think that the play calling has had to compensate for Baker's, um, lack of physical ability right now to put it kindly. And there should have been a point in the past two or three weeks. When you look at the previous games that Baker has started, um, they've lost five of his last six starts. They put up 16 points on the lions. Um, They haven't scored over 20 points since the Bengals game, um, you know, right after OBJ was moved. So I don't see this as a potent offense going forward. He hasn't demonstrated that that will be the case. And I think there is a bit of an indictment on coaching and athletic training staff where there is some onus on them to say, you are not playing this week. Get healthy because we need you to split with Baltimore. These are the two most important games of Baker's career, right? I would argue a division rival, same draft class, vying for a playoff after you were uh, Vegas' pick to win the division. Um, going 0-2 and looking physically incapable of throwing the ball down the field bodes very poorly for Baker's contract negotiations going forward. And I would argue that that'll be reflected in two years. So um, Baker could have taken the last two games off, and the dialogue and the narrative in Cleveland would have been, you know, provided Case Keenum lose loses, Baker is the guy. Baker needs to be back on the field, and then um, and then he would be in the second game against Baltimore. However, if, if Case Keenum won, then I think he would have been as competitive as Baker in this game. I think having the bye week coming off of a win puts less pressure on Baker to throw the ball 50 times when you know that you're going into the game with a split. So um, That's just my take on the Baker-Mayfield situation right now. I think it's not in a great place. I think this is Probably the worst he's looked and admittedly because of injuries. But um, if you're suiting in the NFL, there's the expectation that you'll be able to go full force, run the full playbook every snap of the game. Otherwise, you shouldn't be in the game. Right. So um, that's my
1: take. Yeah. And so the, what I'm saying about the play calling is you have the best offensive line in the league. Maybe maybe that drops down a few spots with the injury to Conklin. But you have the best offensive line in the league. You have the best running back room in the league. And that's not a question. I will never debate that. Um, and, and Baker's being tasked with throwing the ball 30 times a game. I mean, that's not, that's not the recipe for the Browns win. Last year, what did we see? We saw Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt touching the ball 30 times and Baker throwing from play action. Look, I get the run wasn't really working against Baltimore. I get that. Uh, at one point, I looked at the Kareem Hunt had seven carries for 20 yards, and Chubb had seven carries for 11 yards. But while that's not working, both of them are home run threats. They can take it to the house on any single play, especially Nick Chubb. And not only that, they can both make it happen if they catch like a short pass. So the Browns have been Browns early in the season were a very screen heavy team, and I could be wrong. I I didn't watch much of the Ravens game because I was at work. But what I watched, it was they were trying to push it downfield, push it, push it, push it, push it, and with all those injuries, that's not that's not a recipe for success. I think if you run the ball, you throw your screens, um, and you throw play action when you're going to take your deep shots, and you're gonna win games and we're gonna and you're gonna put up you know 20 30 points a game because we that's what the talent on the offense is built around uh even even the can can take a screen to the house i mean we saw him do it you know um which i also think he's an underutilized part of the offense uh, drops aside he's such a playmaker such a weapon to have which i'm going on a little tangent here but I'm I'm very glad he rescinded his uh, trade request last year. I agree. Um, especially after the Harrison Bryant injury that is awesome that we still have him on the team. But I think Baker's he could still be the guy. Um, am I going to say he's 100% the guy? I'm going to I'm going to hold off on that for now, but I'm I am willing to say he's 100% the guy for 2022. Um and, and granted he gets healthy this offseason, I think we're primed to see the baker that we were supposed to see this year.
0: I think that's valid. My my response to that would be, and then we can move on to something else because we've been <laughs> going for about you know 10-15 minutes on this, but um, <clears throat> you look at the play calling from this game, and obviously boot and play action you know, schemed plays are where Baker is at his best. He's one of the best play action quarterbacks in the NFL. And that's predicated on two things. It's predicated on the ability to run the ball. Yes. It's also predicated on the quarterback to have at least the ability to be mobile in the pocket, to be able to move the pocket and roll out and roll out 15 yards and be able to hit a throw or a screen on the run. He wasn't able to do that. And so if you look at the play calling and you say we got away from the screen and the play action and the boots and all of that stuff, it's because the quarterback was unable to fulfill his, his end of the bargain. And so they were asking him to drop back into coverage or drop back and throw into coverage, which Baker has never been particularly good at. We saw that with the Freddie Kitchens offense. Baker was always in shotgun uh, and it was it was poor. So um the offensive line with Blake Hans at right tackle maybe takes a half step down, but you still have the best interior offensive line rated by PFF. You have the second, the two guards are the second rated guards in the NFL and the center is the best center in the NFL. Again, according to PFF. So the offensive line is still capable of holding, not holding. That's a bad word. Capable Hmm. of maintaining the line for Baker to be able to move in the pocket. You drop your tackles and you push them around so that you can scheme blocks on the outside. But if the quarterback cannot move around in the pocket, those styles of play are going to fall short. And so um, I think Case Keenum would have been able to mildly execute that um, to a greater degree. And I think if the play action screen game gets working again, got working, and that's all based on quarterback mobility, right? Right. Baltimore is not going to stack the box. They're not going to put six in the box to fill, to fill running gaps uh, if you can prove that you can throw screens. So um, I think it does come back to Baker's health. Not fully on him, but there comes a time when also Baker needs to learn to throw the ball away. That's how he's gotten hurt a couple of times. Um, but that's, a, that's an aside. Uh, he threw an interception and then tore his labrum trying to make a tackle as a quarterback. He was rolling out against the Cardinals and got tackled from behind instead of throwing it away. That separated his shoulder.
1: Um, a competitor. That's a guy that I want on my team.
0: Sure, fine. That's great. the The grit and the the toughness have never been something I've questioned about Baker, but there is a point where that is detrimental to the offense that your your team is designed to run. So that's <laughs> that's that's my summation of the Cleveland Browns offense and what I'm seeing right now. And I don't think it's I think it's going to get worse before it gets better. Baker's very much not healthy. I feel like a bye this week might help a little bit, but. Um,
1: this isn't an injury. These aren't injuries that heal in one week. So. Right. right. So you're going to see the that same being said, weeks. Yeah. The expectations should be tempered for the rest of the season. That's right. Browns fans. So that's our debate about
0: Baker Mayfield. Um, come to your own conclusions if you want, but. From what I can tell, Will and I are both on the same page. We believe that Baker, you know, probably will be back for his fifth season. and
1: 100% should be.
0: Sure. Provided he's healthy, he should be back for his fifth season. And he will be because you get a full off season of rehab and the best physical therapists and trainers that this side of the Mississippi has to offer. So um, he'll come back next year. I expect more pocket awareness. I think that's a good word. Um, not putting himself in harm's way because you're not going to win the fight when you're trying to score up Derwin James that will go poorly 10 out of 10 times. If you're a quarterback. Right. So I
1: don't know. Yeah. But I, I will say, I think pocket awareness is, is the wrong term for that because how many times do we see Baker, you know, feel the pressure and be able to get outside the pocket.
0: I grant, Yeah. So I, sure. think, That's, that I think pocket awareness way.
1: is the right word. That's just yeah. a little, Yeah, you
0: know. yeah, that is one of his strengths, but they're, there comes a time when, in anything in school in finance in relationships in football, you realize what you're good at and then you try to be the best at it or be above your own ability um, i'm I'm pretty good at writing papers I feel like I don't need to spend a week on prepping for a paper. I could do it in two days, but if I let that um, knowledge about myself and that self awareness. St- tell me that I can write a paper in one night, I'm going to get it back and look at a C minus. So (laughs) it's a bad analogy. But but my point is, know what you're good at and make sure you stay good at it because you don't need to play hero ball as a non-run threat quarterback, which Baker isn't. He's not a run threat. He's a mobile pocket-aware quarterback when he can play
1: within himself. Yeah, I agree. Sometimes sometimes he's trying too hard. But with the, with all the critics he's always and you can you know he's always been one of those guys to to want to prove everyone wrong which I love about him yeah, but yeah, that's, sometimes sometimes that's what got it needs him to be the NFL a bit. it's
0: what got him to the NFL and if you get the dream job if you if you marry your your dream woman or your dream guy um, remember what got you to that point baker got to that point with the whole chip on the shoulder i'm an underdog mentality you know walk on had to win the starting job at oklahoma went to the worst team in the history of football. Um, And so that got him to where he is today. And the fact that the Browns are competitive is a testament to Baker's character. So if you start to lose that, you lose who you are. If you're a guy and you like to go out and roll the dice at a casino because that's just the person you are, if you find yourself in the suburbs, two dogs and a kid that keeps throwing up in the middle of the night, that's not you as a person. So don't try and get outside of yourself, know what you're good at, but make sure you stay good at it.
1: I don't know. That's my take. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. And one thing the Dolans are good at is not spending money, and that trend has only continued in the in the free agency for the Cleveland Guardians of the payroll. Um, <laughs> the Cleveland, they, <laughs> we brought back hard-hitting catcher Sandy Leone on a minor league deal. Incredible! That that's what I like to see. I actually those are the moves that win you championships. I remember
0: watching a Sandy Leone home run one of them a single
1: <laughs> yeah those those are world series contender type moves right there love it but no all jokes aside very underwhelming offseason so far from the cleveland perspective from an overall perspective of a baseball fan it's been crazy it's been very crazy um Man, where to even start? Texas wants to compete. They decided. They woke up one morning, decided they wanted to try to be good next year. Yeah. Um, and within the span of seventy-two hours or whatever, got Semyon Seeger and John Gray, which spent, I think is a very underrated pickup. I they
0: think. spent over five hundred million dollars on their middle infield. Five hundred million dollars on their second base shortstop panda. <laughs> and if you're drawn from a hat, you know. Best shortstops and best second baseman. Seager and Simeon, I would argue, are both going to be in those respective hats. And putting them together will make for a lot of fun double plays. Um, And that'll be fine and dandy. And Texas will be interesting and exciting this year. But $500 million over eight or ten years on their middle infield. That's crazy. That's, I mean, crazy good, I guess, if you're a Rangers fan who doesn't have the self-awareness for baseball financing. But I'm shocked that their front office was able to do that.
1: Well, in baseball, as, as we all know, there's no salary cap. So whatever the owner wants to spend, he'll spend. I mean, just, I'm, I was very close to saying a bad word right there. Not going to do it while we're live. <laughs> uh, but look at, look at the Mets. Look at the Mets. Um, I mean, you know what's crazy to me? You, Max Scherzer will make more each of the next three years. in each year, $43.3 million, than the entire Cleveland opening day payroll of 2021. And that's before trading Eddie Rosario. That's before trading Cesar Hernandez and cutting even more salary. Uh, (laughs) There are, there are three teams right now whose payrolls are projected to be less in opening day 2022 than Max Scherzer. And you would have guessed Cleveland is one of them, right? But the other two are also teams that you would guess, but, because they're bad and don't have the talent worth paying, is Baltimore and Pittsburgh. Um, that's fine. Cincinnati's ruining it for the AFC North, right there. <laughs> but it's and that's, yeah.
0: There is a there is a blueprint for winning a World Series as a small market team. You look at Kansas City in fifteen, and you look at Cleveland in twenty sixteen. I mean, they were twelve outs away from a world series championship after jose ramirez put one in the short porch in the fifth inning against the against the cubs right in, in game five yeah. so there is a blueprint for winning as a small market team that blueprint however is strongly predicated on all of your talent and all of the stars aligning all at once and that's almost you know impossible for cleveland's team in 2016, Lindor and Ramirez and Tyler Naquin, despite his inability to catch the ball in game six in center field. <laughs> if you, if you recall, if you'll, if you're, if you'll entertain me, um, I don't
1: think there's anybody in, in the city of Cleveland that forgets
0: that. Right. And, um, and you have to make sure that your veteran arms and your bullpen stay solid and Cleveland got hurt that year. Again, it's nobody's fault. I am not ascribing blame because Trevor Bauer cut his finger open, but when he pitched, he won his games. So say what you want. Trevor Bauer was available and he won his games despite having a bleeding finger. So I don't think that world series is on Trevor because he went out and performed and balled. So if you get any injuries on your core of your team, if you're a small market organization, you can kiss it goodbye because if Mm -hmm. you look at the Dodgers last year, and if you look at, you know, other contenders, at the trade deadline, if you experience injuries, if someone is eight and nine as a starter, um, they get moved or they get um, they get lent. They get a, a temporary replacement. You look at Manny Machado and Corey Seager that one year when the Dodgers made it to the World Series but didn't win. Um, there are countless other. Examples, look at Atlanta's outfield this year. How are you going to replace MVP candidate and top five MVP bet winner Ronald Acuna? You go out and you buy Jock Peterson and Eddie Rosario. Shout out the Cleveland Guardians of Peril for him. Jorge Soler, too. Jorge Soler, who, you know, if you watch the World Series (laughs) even at all. You know him. (laughs) In fact, was quite palpable. So there is a blueprint, but, you know, in the Royals' case, Uh, Durando Ventura and Alcides Escobar and all of their young talent had to stay healthy there was not an alternative and there was not a fill-in player that could replace their young talent that they weren't paying Um, and so if any of that happens you start hemorrhaging payroll
1: yep and the the problem with the Indians in 2016 is it's no one's fault well, as a small market team, like you said, everything has to be perfect. The stars have to align. You have to get every good break that you can, and it just didn't happen. They just didn't play perfectly. You know, it just wasn't meant to be. Apparently, right. um, even even though after the Rajai Davis home run off of Chapman, it felt like it was meant to be.
0: And to and to that point, you need to you need to hit home runs metaphorically on veteran minimum players like Rajai Davis. You need to hit mm-hmm. those out of the park. You need to really, really get those signings right. Um, look at Nick Markakis; he has been doing it for years and years, um, yeah. playing on veteran deals for no money, but being a an active, like in the green, wins above replacement player. So,
1: Mike Napoli in twenty sixteen. <laughs> right?
0: Yeah, you gotta uh, you gotta really hit on your young talent that you call up in the beginning of the year. The starting rotation that at that point should be rather bolstered. It should be reasonably good. If you're hoping to compete for a world series for any team. I mean, I don't remember the last world series team that won without a good pitching staff. So um, your starting rotation has to be good and healthy and your older players, your, your leadership guys, your, they play the right game, the game, the right way kind of guys, they have to stay healthy and be not just
1: um, league average, but, they have to come up when it matters. They right. have to come through. Right. Anyways, that because was... You, you, it's, it's not really fair to expect, you know, a 23-year-old playing in his first major league season to be able to come through in game seven, seventh inning, facing a role as Chapman. Uh, that's just not fair, <laughs> you know. Yeah, but, yeah, that's true. And that year, if I'm not mistaken, um,
0: Cleveland went big. I mean, obviously, they went big on Andrew Miller sure but mm-hmm. they were able to do that as a small market team by giving away their farm system and that's yeah, that's what cannot happen if you are hoping to compete um and they sold from, out and it, it didn't work yeah and then aside from that the other biggest free agent or not free agent trade deadline acquisition that they had that year was Brandon Guyer Mr. Hyde <laughs> pitch and so if you're looking to fix the roster with a bullpen arm who is excellent, but a bullpen arm and a platoon corner outfielder and Coco Crisp. I forgot about that.
1: That'll work. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so,
1: yeah, that's it, it. I will say the future looks bright in Cleveland, but I mean, I say that disappointed as, as a guardians fan, um, because I mean, we have the core right now, obviously Jose Ramirez, Framio Reyes, um, you know, Bieber, the whole pitching staff, uh, class a, if Karen check can, you know, fight his struggles, um, the pitching staff's ready to compete and we have enough good everyday players to where we have a core. I mean, Jose Ramirez and Fernando Reyes are always going to be your three, four, as long as they're healthy. Right. Miles Straw is going to be a great leadoff guy. Sure. Um, I, I like Bobby Bradley a lot. I know a lot of people don't, but I I like him. The Indians have been looking for that power hitting first baseman for a long time. And he's right in front of us. And now I should say Guardians have been looking for a power hitting first baseman for a long time. Now he's right in front of us and fans want to talk about how we still need a first baseman. It's you don't you don't know what you got till it's gone kind of thing. I mean, we watched the same thing happen with Jesus Aguilar. Yeah. Where, oh, when God. he left and became very good for a couple of years there. Um, but the core is there for Cleveland to compete. I mean, Ahmed Rosario, the defense might be shaky at times, but we saw him really come on strong with the bat towards the end and, of the year. The
0: thing about it, defense in, the, in Major League Baseball, I would argue, does not matter.
1: Uh, I'm, I'm important actually to get much it's on the important flip
0: side. I think a more important part of the player is their hitting ability. I mean, you look at Jason Kipnis at second base for a long time, he could hit the. He could really, really put the barrel on the ball. He was one of the worst second baseman defensively in the league, but it did not matter. So I don't know.
1: Yeah. It's, I mean, just the way the league's tending right now. I mean, if, if Cleveland really decides that they're sick of losing fans because they don't, Make a move to try to compete. I mean, I think you trade for a corner outfield bat. Um, there's one one guy that's an obvious choice, and that would be that would be Anthony Santander. Yeah, former former uh, um, minor leaguer in our system, right? Um, was snatched away in the Rule Five draft. Has become maybe not a superstar, but a but a serviceable corner outfield bat that would surely be an upgrade over over Mercado. I love Mercado, but he'd surely be an upgrade over him.
0: Right. Um, I'm upset to see how Mercado's career trajectory went, but that's a tangent for another time.
1: Yeah, I agree. Um, And I think other than that, if you're not going to give second base duties to one of the promising prospects, I think you got to go out and get a second baseman. Um, Doesn't have to be splashy. Doesn't have to be Marcus Simeon type deal um but i think you need to address it in some form i mean i love ernie clement and if he can keep up what he's done what he's done in the minor leagues he'll hit 280 maybe three home runs if he gets lucky and runs into <laughs> runs into a couple yeah in if we play in colorado uh <laughs> right, right right but i mean that's i mean you, you don't need a ton of power out of your second baseman is it nice to have power from everyone in your lineup yes but if you have a guy who can get on base, put the bat on the ball, low strikeout rates at second base, you're you're in good shape. I mean, uh, I way. wanted to see Owen Miller do well there, but I mean, I'm not closing the book yet. Not closing the book on him yet. But it was a shaky first uh, first cup of coffee. First sixty, to say the least.
0: A reasonable sample size. Yeah,
1: maybe even. I mean, I think I think it's pretty mm-hmm. obvious at this point um next year i think we see nolan jones i think we see gabriel arias um i think, I think we so. see jimenez, jimenez to get an extended look a more extended look um so i think i think it'll be fun to watch i mean a lot of talent in the upper levels of the minors too and you can't forget um i think he kind of alternates between one and two on our top prospect list george valera um he made it up to double a at the end of last year and was huge for the rubber ducks in the, in the double-A playoffs. So, so I think the future is bright. I wish it was a little brighter, but um, I think, I think Nolan Jones though, in spring training, his problem really with playing the outfield is defense. Cause he's a third baseman by trade. I think in spring training, you see him get a lot of reps there, see if he's feeling a little better out there. And if he is, he's the opening day starter in left field. That's just in corner
0: outfield, He's going to have the Lonnie Chisholm career trajectory.
1: Um, <laughs> I don't think Lonnie Chisholm was ever a number one prospect, but...
0: No, it's just the whole third base to outfield pipeline. Yeah. That's the whole argument. The Lonnie Chisholm go 0 for 20, and then in the next week go 14 for 19 with five home runs and 18 RBIs. The streakiest... The, the game against Texas. <laughs> oh, I remember. Five for five... <laughs> Three home runs, 12 Three home guys. runs. Yeah. <laughs> I remember. He was one of my favorite players to watch too, just because he was one of those, you never know. You never know what was going to happen with him. <laughs> yeah. So anyways, uh, lots going on in the baseball world. Um, lots going on in college sports as well. We'll touch on some hoops here in a second, but um, I just want to mention real quick, let's discuss some coaching carousel because oh geez. the news is, is hot this week on Lincoln Riley uh, accepting the job at USC in the middle of the night. And then Brian Kelly, a day later, doing the exact same thing for LSU. So, um, (laughs) and it's bizarre because there are probably eight, maybe 10 jobs in college football that are a, a jobs. And you look down the list, Alabama, Georgia, Ohio state, I would say Clemson, despite this year. Mm. Despite this year, I think Clemson has put themselves in a position where they will always have a competitive ho- coaching hire. Um USC historically, um, Oklahoma, and am I missing anybody? Um, maybe the U, maybe the University maybe of Miami historically. Florida, or, maybe. Maybe Florida, maybe the University of Miami. My point and Notre Dame. My point is Michigan.
1: I would I would argue sure. is also so, there
0: eight or 10 programs where the jobs, if you land them, are A jobs. And you don't see a lot of coaches going from A job in college football to another A job. But two happened in the last 48 hours. Well, more than that now, but by the time you're listening to it. But um, two coaches went from A programs to other A programs. I don't understand the Brian Kelly move because playing, being, going into the season, knowing that you will be the third best team to start the season every year or at least in the foreseeable future, will be very difficult. If I had to guess, knowing that Alabama and Georgia will be juggernauts to go through every year um, is difficult. I understand the pragmatics of the Lincoln-Riley move a lot more because you look at the Pac-12 and Oregon's always going to be good. They're always – Oregon's a B job. Oregon is a B to B plus job. Um, back in the day with Marcus Mariota, I would say they were probably an A job. Like in the early 2010s, they were probably an A yeah. job. But you look at the Pac-12, and again, historically, recruiting available, like recruiting availability in Southern California, no team even sniffs USC's magnitude. Uh, Utah is okay; they can win football games, but CLA. yeah, I think they have the right coach. Chip Kelly's fine, and he's good, but. Going to USC, the whole, like, Reggie Bush, Matt Leiner, like, the the excellence of USC's football program, now that they got the coach right, for I would argue, the first time since Pete Carroll, they're going to be back in the top five in 18 games. It It might not happen right away because the committee has to look at USC and judge whether or not it will work before they play a game. But once they start playing the football games with Malachi, uh, Throw in the ball, the number one or number two quarterback prospect that decommitted from Oklahoma and committed to USC again in the past couple of <laughs> days to follow Lincoln Riley. I don't think that's a, a surprise if I have yes. Um, second only to a, a young man named Arch Manning. Um, they're going to win games and they're going to win games fast. So the USC Lincoln Riley effect is in full force, um, but I feel bad for. the the players and the recruits that would be going to Oklahoma or would be going to Notre Dame that signed their letter of intent already, you know, like Mm -hmm. even two, three weeks ago. Um, Because if you're a college football athlete and you're looking, I, if you're looking to decide where to go and Oklahoma and I don't know, Ohio state, Alabama are all on your radar. You're that caliber of player and you choose Oklahoma because of its coaching staff. I'd be, (laughs) I, I mean, I would, I would rescind my commitment and a lot of players have like five or six top tier recruits or athletes on that team right now have either rescinded their uh, commitment or entered the transfer portal. So there is a ripple effect at Oklahoma. Eventually they'll be fine because again, they're a top program in college football. It might take a couple of years, but Oklahoma will
1: be back. Um, I mean, and it's not like they have a scrub interim head coach right now. I am mean- I'm sure you saw who's, who's the answer right. in there, but uh, I thought it's Bob Stoops if, for anyone who doesn't know. Yeah. <laughs> Incredibly talented. He's no Lincoln Riley. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, this is a little off topic, but still on the subject of Lincoln Riley. Um, I did see a TikTok the other day of furniture being thrown out of the Oklahoma football offices. Uh, so that was pretty fun. Great. <laughs> Looks like things are going well in Norman and everyone is at peace with the decision. I like this. <laughs> Yeah. But, I mean, I can't help but think Lincoln Riley's scared of the SEC. I think so, too. I, and uh, he turned down the LSU job, which, I mean, it's understandable. I'd probably choose USC over, over LSU just because of the pedigree of program. But and jump right, right now, right when Oklahoma's going to the SEC, after being not interested in any jobs, like, forever – that's a little suspicious to me. Is scared the right word? Was that the athletic
0: director's decision to go to the SEC? If I had to guess, Lincoln Riley would rather stay in the Big 12, run the run the gauntlet against Iowa State, and <laughs> have the chance to be a two or three seed every year, provided you don't, you don't get unlucky breaks against Kansas or Kansas State or whatever. So um, I don't know if it was his fear of the SEC. I think – as a businessman and as as a father, uh, <laughs> he has to look at all the job opportunities available and kind of consider which gives him the best opportunity for success. And it's not going to be Oklahoma because, again, if Oklahoma were to go to the SEC, their starting point is third to fourth best, fifth if Auburn. They're going
1: to get wiped. They're yeah, they're going to get
0: wiped best if Auburn's good and. And Florida's made runs in the past. So you're starting at the middle of the pack in the SEC. And that's not the pedigree of program that Lincoln Riley has created at Oklahoma. Um, And so I think going to USC was a business decision for his future prospects more than anything else, because he's already college football royalty. Like he already is a top three coach in college football. I like Ryan day, but Nick Saban. And I would say, um, you can argue about two and three. I think you could put Lincoln Riley in that category. He had all of the power in this decision, and I think he made one knowing that Oklahoma would be unsuccessful in the SEC. And I get it. I do. I'm not saying it was the right thing to do to his recruits, but I get it.
1: Yeah, I, I have to agree with that. It was something. <laughs> I mean, I, I just don't understand. Like, Hey, I'm accepting a job. I'm hopping on a flight tomorrow, 8 a.m., See ya. And I'm taking, oh, yeah. I'm taking half my coaching staff with me, too, by the way. The way that both coaches did it were
0: very, very bad. But you also yeah. have to consider the job offer is on the table at USC. They probably told Lincoln, you have 12 hours to make a decision. Otherwise, we're moving on to Matt Campbell at Iowa State, other coaches, maybe
1: even Brian Kelly. Um, but, that, but that doesn't mean hop on a jet and just leave. It means you can accept the job, finish the season, move on. I agree. And that's where I think he
0: kind of stepped in it. Um, So same with Brian Kelly. The, The job got offered. He had a very small window of time to accept it. But the difference between Brian Kelly's situation and Lincoln Riley's is that Brian Kelly right now, provided a couple things go Notre Dame's way, is in the playoff. They will be in the playoff if and only if Alabama loses to Georgia, which I think they will, And either Michigan or Oklahoma State lose their championship game. And then you start looking around and you're like, Notre Dame's a one-loss team. Cincinnati's undefeated. They're not going to let a two-loss team into the playoff. Notre Dame is still very viable right now in college football this season.
1: Even though you can make the argument that Ohio State is still the number two team um, in terms of talent, but, I mean, the two losses is the killer.
0: Yeah, you got to win the games you're scheduled. And Notre Dame's been able to do that to the standard that the college football playoff expects, which is zero to one losses at the top of your program, conference champions, if your conference has one. And again, if Oklahoma State or if Michigan lose their conference championship, they will both be two loss teams and out of the playoff structure. So Notre Dame is still very viable in college football. And Brian Kelly picked the worst time to um, to bow out for his yeah. players sake. Again, I get taking the LSU job. I do, but, um,
1: yeah. But it, it doesn't mean hop on a jet and just dip. I, I agree. <laughs> All right. <so>. But <clears throat> in terms of good college athletics news, um, if you're a fan of the Buckeyes in central Ohio, yeah. Heck yeah. Is that big win last night, the big comeback win where you know, the Buckeyes but, uh, outscored the number one Duke blue devils 20 to four in the last seven minutes of the game. To yeah. If you, were to,
0: if you were to tell me that in the last week of November, um, a talented Buckeye team would knock off a top ranked program in their respective sport. I wouldn't have gone to basketball beating Duke in coach case final year. Um, sorry, I wouldn't have. And, uh, it's just it's very interesting timing. OCU is coming off the loss to Michigan, which the University of Michigan wholeheartedly earned. They played Yeah, they wanted it more. so much more. They played a much more complete game. And Jim Harbaugh I think is right when he said that Ohio State is soft. They're not a physical team.
1: They they're not. They're a, they're a finesse team. And there's I a- mean it's hard it's hard to be a physical team when your two best defensive players are a converted running back and a converted wide receiver. Those are those right. Stet Chambers was making all the tackles. And he was a running back last year. Or I don't know about last year, but in the past. <laughs>
0: yeah, I agree. And so you ask Ohio State to win shootouts and finesse football, which they're capable of, unless you run into a wall like Michigan. Anyways, that's an aside. But uh, Ohio State basketball upsetting the Blue Devils. Um, EJ Liddell hitting a an elbow jumper Dagger. with a few seconds left. Yeah, that was pretty great. Um, but I have a petition. If you are a top-tier college program like Duke in basketball, your game on the East Coast should not start at 9.30 p.m. Both teams are East Coast teams. Start the game at 7 and tell (laughs) West Coast fans that you're sorry because starting a game for the number one team in basketball, and I'm not being like an elite apologist, but, like, that's absurd. (laughs) Starting starting a basketball game at 9.30 is unacceptable for anybody, let alone, you know, Duke basketball.
1: Yeah, it's – I mean – You wouldn't be preparing to go to bed, but, I mean, you'd be winding down your day at 9.30. I know I would be. Right, and and that's where the
0: fan bases that matter to these programs live. The West Coast does not watch college football. I mean, UCLA and Johnny Juzang are talented, but, like, if you think L.A. is watching Duke versus Ohio State last night at 9.30 p.m. over the Lakers or over the Warriors versus Suns last night, you're crazy and trying to pull that west coast audience with that late time slot it doesn't make sense to me but that's a soapbox it's just a personal issue i'm sure there were reasons for that decision i'm i'm sure there were good reasons but not good to me
1: yeah um it's it's just it just <laughs> doesn't make sense Yeah. Yeah. i I, w- I would be really curious to see a statistic of how many TVs or what the viewership was of what the program that was after the game, because I can only imagine the people who fell asleep watching the basketball game. Oh yeah. You know, people who wake up early for work, but really wanted to watch the Buckeyes or really wanted to watch Duke. Yeah. And <laughs> the viewership was probably through the roof for that next program. Yeah. So
0: anyways, um, that's our little recap of college sports. Um, I think we did a pretty good job at hitting the main points that we care about. Um, yeah. Yeah. College basketball doesn't, to me doesn't really start mattering until February, March. So um, we'll have more basketball talk as the year progresses, but um, any things that you're looking forward to this week, weekend.
1: Um, guys or otherwise. I'm- a nice a nice weekend where I can go into work on Sunday not worrying about missing a Browns game. Oh yeah, um, that's, that's a perk. To be fair, they haven't been. There hasn't been much to really miss uh, the last few weeks, but oh man, the Cavs still look good. I mean, but, not but as good as they did yeah, starting the season. The, the Cavs, Cavs are surprising. Are, but
0: also, you look it's at the fun. team that started the season, and you look at the team now, where they had the lull was. Largely, I would argue got hurt. injuries, Mobley, Sexton, who I am unconvinced is a productive player on the court. He's an incredibly inefficient shooter, um, but he still provides a lot of athleticism on the defensive end as well. And Larry Markkinen, all three of them were unavailable. Plus, Kevin Love going to COVID protocol. Everyone but Sexton is healthy and the Cavs are winning basketball again. Um, last night against the Dallas Mavericks, which um,
1: <laughs> was a great game. Triple double from Luca, but yeah. no win. All right, yeah. I'm, Mobley I'm, I'm, yeah. Mobley has been my rookie of the year so far when he's on the court. Agree wholeheartedly. What I'm it might forward, be biased, but I don't think so.
0: Right. What I'm looking forward to is Suns versus Warriors this Friday. I don't know what Ooh. the lines are. I don't know what the prop bets are, but I would take Steph Curry's over on three point shots made, whatever that prop is. I would take the over because. Do you recall any time in Steph Curry's ten-year career where he played two bad games in a row? Nope. <laughs> right. So Vegas will set a line, and it'll be twenty-seven and a half points for Steph with six and a half for threes. Take the over. He will. He'll heat up like a convection oven, and and I think the Warriors win that game, and keep the spread. So that would be my one bet.
1: Yeah, it'll be it'll be very entertaining. I will say. Um, and I will say for anyone who's listening to this as their sports betting podcast, which is <laughs> self-described as one, um, I don't have any specific picks, but I'm just going to say NBA is very easy. Um, throw a little three teamer, all money lines, all big favorites.
0: Yeah. you'll easy.
1: Yeah. You'll be able to get takeout that night. If you put 20 bucks
0: on three big favorites, you'll get, you know, 35 return. Yeah, I mean
1: I mean I've I've seen it before. Like you take I mean I did it last year. You take you take two two big favorites and fade the Cavs in a three team parlay, and you'll turn 10 bucks into 40. Yeah, and, there you go. So I agree. And it's very easy. Well, low stress. I mean, I there was stress at times with the Cavs. Uh there was one time they <laughs> choked, I think, a five point lead in the last minute of the game to seal the win for me. But there you go. There you go. <laughs> can't fade the Cavs this year, though. Cannot fade the Cavs this year. No, you
0: can't They've been
1: very good against the spread. They have been. They've been spread wreckers. Yeah, <laughs> but sooner or later Vegas is going to have to catch up on those lines. And I agree. But right now they're probably will we'll be gone. Um, anyways,
0: looks like we're getting to the end of our of our episode. Um, Hope you enjoyed. Hope you liked our little back and forth about Baker, some college news, some baseball news. And we will see you next time. As always, I'm Isaac. And I'm Will. Thank you for listening. Bye. Peace.